0: Low Talk Radio.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with co host. John Harlow's. we bring you Talking in Circles here this weekend, we're reviewing the Coca-Cola 600, previewing the Pocono races this weekend, and reviewing also the Indianapolis 500 from what was a great Memorial Day weekend of racing. Uh, but first, we start off with the tr- race in, that we're all more familiar with, and that is the Coca-Cola 600. It was a race that was completely dominated by Martin Truex Jr., He led 392 of the race's 400 laps. An utter domination for that 78 team. Uh, only eight other drivers run last. I don't think we saw a green flag pass for the lead all night long. Um, Martin Tricks Jr. has really run good here on the mile and a half programs the last couple of weeks here. John finally had some luck go his way and absolutely obliterated the field on Sunday night.
2: Well, there was one pass for the lead. Johnson had True X for about 400 yards in the backstretch in the final restart. And Johnson even joked with it that he think he thought TrueX was just toying with them. Truex just they were on another planet on Sunday night. Um, the first time I've ever seen the Coca Cola six hundred were Foxes stretching time to get to the local newscast instead of being an hour long. I mean it was it was just like you said, total, utter domination. I mean, what was there? Only 16, 17 cars left on the lead lap by the end of the night. He was just in a whole different planet. You only saw him wiggle once or twice. Harvick wound up coming toward the end and they brought the same car for Harvick that they had at the All-Star race. And you could tell, when it was daylight, Harvick was struggling. He was fighting to stay in the top ten. And then when the lights came on, Harvick became a whole different driver because the car changed a little bit. I think if Harvick didn't get tight the last run. He might have had something for Truex toward the end, because in the two lap, two runs before the end, Harvick was the fastest car. He was catching, caught and past Johnson, and he was catching Truex. Yeah, it was a
1: one of those races like, you know, here, here's my theory on this. I think this is part of it, too. The race was so fast that we had an average speed of 160.655 miles an hour. It took three hours and 44 minutes to complete this race where I'm not sure the track had enough time to when we started it this year. I'm not sure the track had a whole lot of time to cool down. I think we see this race a lot more, ran a lot more in recent in, in previous years in the dark. Uh, it felt like it was only dark there for about an hour and then completely dark for about an hour, and the track wasn't changing much. And maybe that affected Martin Sherricks Jr.'s complete dominance. And I, I tell you what, you know, it's a 600-mile race. A lot of people don't want to be up, glued to the TV for six, five, six hours. So to have it three hours and 45 minutes uh, for for 600 miles is really remarkable, and it's a good thing. They let the race run green a lot. There, there was one questionable caution flag, but other than that, there wasn't too many. Um, and I think it's a good thing to let these races run green every now and then. And, yes, Martin Truex Jr. absolutely dominated this race. But some some nights, John, it's just going to be that way. You know, uh, Some nights, it's just your night.
2: I was listening to Ray Everham on Moody this afternoon whenever I was driving home, and Ray said, there's just every now and then you're going to have someone hit it and they're going to stink up the show. And you heard Steve O'Donnell this morning with the executive vice president of NASCAR talking to Bagley and Pete Pistone. And NASCAR says they're going to go back to the drawing board of the mile and a half. I just think part of it, if you take Martin Truex out of the equation on Sunday, that probably would have been a pretty good race. There were no passing up at the front, but they were passing in the back of the field. It's just true X was on such a rail. He just checked out and never was found again. I think I part of it is if we get Goodyear to find a tire that is reliable for 600 miles and has the fall off that it had at the all-star race. And I think the cooler temperatures in Charlotte kind of kept the tire wear to where it was not as bad as it was during the All-Star race. I think Goodyear's got a decent tire there for Charlotte. I think the changing the skew back like they are going to do at Kentucky and Michigan later in the year, mm-hmm. running the All-Star package, I think that'll help the competition. But, I mean, it's just one guy that just hit it. And you've seen all year on the mile and a half, X has been the dominant car.
1: Yeah, and he really has. And I, I, credit in the world, all credit in the world. You know, this is a team from two years ago. When they were with Richie Childress Racing, they struggled. And I was a big Todd Barrier fan. I questioned that move when Todd Barrier was moved out of there. They brought in a, an engineer from Cole Pern. And ever since Cole Pern's gotten to that 718 team, teams took off. They were great last year. They only won one race last year. They moved, made this move to Toyota. Another really a gutsy move to move from Chevrolet where they were running really good to a Toyota organization, a start over fresh. And they've just picked up right where they left off. They've been even better. Martin Strix Jr. has run really, really good. Uh, he's done a nice job in that 78 car. And Cole Pern, he, to me, he's the next guy, you know, the next big-time crew chief in this sport, and he's really proven himself to be really great. And, you know, that the that 78 car is a complete team effort. Um, you know, when you dominate like that, you know, there's no, no such thing as bad pit stops. There's no such thing as missing it at all. I mean, they were absolutely perfect. And if we didn't have some of those uh, a questionable caution or two there, John, you know, I, I think Truex could have very well, you know, lapped all the way up into the top ten. So uh, you know there was only 15 cars in the lead lap as there was, but you know I agree with you. I think um, there was some passing throughout the litter throughout the rest of the field there, um, but it was just an absolute dominant race by um, Martin Truex and And you kind of brought, led me to my next question. You know, Steve, what Donald did come out this weekend, this week, yesterday, and say we're going back to drawing board as far as Mama Half tracks go. Um, do you think that's a little bit of an overreaction, John, to this dominant a race? And NASCAR said, you know, he's basically said, we want to see passing up at the front. Do you think it's a little bit of an overreaction to this, John, or do you think, um, you know, do you really think the racing was that bad where we need to make such a
2: drastic change? I think it's a little bit of both. I think NASCAR sees how much downforce the teams are getting back by the use of Instead of brake blowers, they're blowing it up into the car to create the downforce and keep the car sucked to the ground. I think the teams are catching up on the downforce, for they've probably got another three, 400 pounds back that they gave up. So I think NASCAR is trying to stay ahead of the teams. And I also think, if you look, the little tweaks that they did on the week before for the All-Star race, that was the one of the best mile-and-a-half racing I've seen in a long time. I just wonder how much of a difference it was that some teams just thought, okay, we'll just survive till nighttime, like most of the teams do in the 600. Let me survive till I get to the evening, and then we'll go further, and we'll tune it up, and we'll be ready to go. And Truex just blew their doors out before it got to being dark.
1: I I agree. I think that's a lot to do with it is – you know, I don't think the track really – I mean, I think it was cooling down, but I don't think it really got cool. We ran a whole lot at night because of the simple fact that 2X set such a blistering pace. I mean, you know, we didn't. We had, I think, one wreck maybe when Jeffrey Earnhardt got into the outside wall and uh, maybe one other driver got into the outside wall. But other than that, we really didn't have – you know, we had a competition caution and a debris caution other than that. So it was really not a, a, a race that sold a lot of cautions. It was, you know – and there was a lot of drivers out there who you know, we end up one caution where everybody kinda of got caught on pit road, so um it was it was a race full of cautions, that's all I'm saying. And so Truex really, really set a fast, blistering pace. And uh I just think teams thought like you said, Oh, you know what, be patient, be patient, wait till we get to the nighttime and by the time nighttime got there there was sixty to go and they were like, Oh, oh boy, now we're in big trouble. So, um you know, I, I definitely agree with you on there. A couple of let's go over the results a little bit here. Um you know, we mentioned Truex dominated. You know, Kevin Harvick, you mentioned him. He finished second, came up, really did well towards the end of that race. Jimmy Johnson, he's great at Charlotte. Not really as dominant as he used to be, you know, when this track was Lowe's motor speed, the lowest car went out there and always dominated, did well. Denny Hamlin had a nice night, so did Jaslowski, Kurt Busch was sixth. Kenseth, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and Ryan Newman were top ten. Uh, a couple, one more guy I want to give a shout-out to. It was nice to see him. He ran kind of close to the top ten all day long. Greg Biffle. All three Rouse cars qualified in the top ten for the first time in over a year and a half um So Biffle ran good. He finished 11. So a nice run for those guys. But anybody really uh, stand out on the positive side for you, John, uh, this weekend that you thought really had a good run that you weren't really expecting?
2: It was tough to find anybody who was running because everything was focused on Truax all night. I mean, he, was, he just set such a blistering pace. I think Biffle was there enough to say, hey, I was there, and close to the top ten for them is pretty good. Everybody was looking for Larson to make a move and do something, and he wound up getting himself in trouble. Blaney ran great, but had the loose wheel where he wound up having to come back in again. I think Chance Elliott continues to be consistent. He's not his dad yet. I mean Bill Elliott was very good on equipment. Chase is very good on equipment. Bill Elliott was, I mean, the fastest thing on wheels for the longest time. Chase Elliott is getting there. But I think Chase is doing very well. He's on a he's in a great team and a great situation where he's basically got Jeff Gordon's stuff from last year. And they're yeah. working well with it. I think that I mean, it what I was kinda of surprised in was how good True X was but how okay to not so good the Gibbs cars were.
1: A very good point, John. And it's something that I I think
2: uh, you
1: have to kind of wonder about, whether this chase format had a lot to do with that. And and we want your conversation on this. We want your opinion. So if you're listening, feel free to give a call at 917-889-8280. Call in and discuss whatever you want to talk about, whether it was the unity 500 or Coca-Cola 600. Uh, Discuss whatever you want to talk about. But it's a good point that the JGR cars – the majority of them, aside from Truex, really were luster. And, and uh, I heard a stat today that was really remarkable that this is the first race that a Joe Gibbs racing car didn't lead a lap in since April of 2015 at Richmond. So, you know, you, and you can consider Truex a Joe Gibbs racing car, but it's not really Joe Gibbs racing per se. But you have to wonder, John, if, you know, these guys aren't trying something. I think Carl Edwards would have been a guy who might have had something there for Truex toward the end as well, but he spent on pit road not once, but when he was paying his penalty for speeding on pit road, he had to do it again, and it was a stop and go. So it wasn't a uh, – it was a very tough day for Carl Edwards. He ended up salvaging a decent day, finished 18th, where it didn't kill him, but uh, it was – you know, finished a lap down at 18th. It was a tough day for him. But,
2: you know, you're right.
1: I, I just wonder, John, if the chase had anything to do with, with that, where these drivers were like, hey, let's try something. This is a chase race in October. You know we're obviously really really good, but these teams are going to be working on some stuff. So let's see, let's test something and see if we can't get any better.
2: Well, the one thing Har- Harvick basically said flat out that his team was trying something because their chassis was totally different from anything that Stuart Haas Racing's been running. So mm-hmm. they experimented at the All Star race, liked what they got, and brought it back this week. And Harvick crashed out of the All Star. He was banged up at the All Star race. So they had to return around that car in four days because they raced Saturday night and they qualified Thursday. So it was a good effort on Harvick's team to get their stuff turned around to be ready to run on Thursday. They were experimenting. I really don't think Gibbs would experiment here. The Coke 600 is not a race you experiment at. That's one of the crown jewels of NASCAR. you got Daytona, you got the Coke 600, you've got the Southern 500, and pretty much everybody says the Brickyard 400, the Crown Jewel, even though it's a terrible race. But it's the Brickyard. I think they're not going to experiment at at Pocono. I mean, at Charlotte, they'll experiment at Pocono. They'll experiment at other chase tracks. Like when they go to New Hampshire in a few weeks, everybody's experimenting there that already has a win because they're worried about what's going to happen when they get there in September. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. I think it's a, it's something that uh, with with this chase format, you know, we've heard drivers in the past come out and basically say, admit to it. Hey, yeah, we test sometimes in the chase. We try different top. We try different. Um, you know, we try different setups, and we, you know, you said it with Harvick. Harvick admitted this weekend as well. Where he's got a win, so he's kind of sitting there going, you know what? I'm going to be trying some things too. But you know, definitely right now, I think we're starting to see Hendrick Motorsports. We know they're struggling a little bit, but there was a couple of other drivers out there who I thought struggled John. I thought maybe we'd see a little bit better performance from obviously Casey Kane. And we'll dive into that a little bit more later where Casey Kane struggled. I thought Jim McMurray didn't have a great run. And I hate to point this out because I know he's your boy, but I thought we'd see a little bit better from Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart ran really good early on in that race. He seemed I know he started towards the rear. Got his way, worked his way up through the field and then it just seemed like he couldn't go anywhere. Uh, ended up I believe in a 24th position. So kind of a lackluster day there for Tony Stewart as well.
2: Yeah, I was disappointed. I I actually put it on Facebook as, like, it's really sad to watch Stewart run this bad. And I don't know what it was at the beginning of the race. He was doing well. He had a bad pit stop because I heard some of the race traffic, or the scanner traffic today, where he says, we're we're getting beat off pit row by fourth-rate race teams. And then later on during the race, he says, hey, your driver's a fourth-rate driver, too. So, I'm not sure if it was Stewart trying to pick his team up by self-deprecating, right? but they just haven't had it. I mean, the thing is, though, as bad as he's running, he's 60 points out of 30th.
1: Well, I think he's definitely going to make 30th, absolutely. I think there's no doubt. I mean, you got the guys, you know, the teams he's going to have to run. I think it's David Regan right now in 30th in points. I think teams he's going to have to outrun. You know, as long as Stewart doesn't get – Uh, And to Rex, I think he's definitely going to make the top 30 in points. But we'll see. I mean, it's still a long way to go. We're we're halfway through the the regular season, which is hard to believe we're that fast already. So uh, we'll see. But I I just thought, you know, it was kind of a a lackluster day. I thought, you know, again, Casey Kane's another guy who – Charlotte's a pretty good racetrack for him. He usually performs pretty well there. And he's coming off a week at Dover where – they got penalized 25 points, and now he's not sitting too great in the chase points right now. So another bad weekend where, you know, Casey didn't qualify good, you didn't practice good, and you didn't race good. It was another bad weekend for that five-team.
2: And you've got to wonder what it's going to take. I mean, Kenny Francis and Casey Kane went through three different race teams together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were at Everham together, they went to Red Bull together, then they came to Hendrick together. And I guess the magic sort of wore off. They brought back Keith Rodden whenever he went to McMurray for a year. And Keith Rodden was the car chief forever. I'm thinking something's not right. Whatever those two have worked together, because basically Keith Rodden is almost the same as Kenny Francis, I'm thinking there will be a crew chief change on that five car by the end of the year.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. Interesting to see. We're going to dive into our crew sheet changes um, later on in the show. But, hey, you know, John, I agree with you. I think that's definitely one to definitely keep an eye on uh, to kind of pitch to something later on in the show. It's definitely one to keep an eye on. I agree with you. Uh, just a another day of Casey Kane where, you know, he was five laps down. And I don't remember anything major going on there where he spent on pit road or had anything going on. He was just that far off. And uh, that's a disappointing day when you're in Hendrick Motorsports, a team that uh prides themselves and that's another and that's another thing here. You
2: know, Hendricks
1: seems to teams have two really good teams right now. The forty eight and the twenty four have run really good where everybody's like, hey they're running pretty good. And the eighty eight and the five just, and they, and it's two it's funny because you know the five and the twenty four are one shop, the forty eight and the eighty eight are in the other. So it's not like it's one shop that's better than the other. Um but the eighty eight and the five just kind of seem to be putting around here lately. Uh, especially the eighty eight too. The eighty eight hasn't had a top ten since since Bristol. So uh it's been kind of a lackluster five weeks with Dale Earnhardt Jr. as well, so kind of a, an interesting little phenomenon going on there at Hendrick Motorsports. The last thing I want to um, bring up here to wrap up Charlotte was the fact, let's go back to Steve O'Donnell's comments real quick, but you know, in your comments about Goodyear. I think Goodyear brought a tire that wasn't great. I think they brought a tire that would wear well for the daytime, but it didn't wear well for the nighttime. And my, and here's something I, interesting I would like to know, uh, know John. Uh, I, don't think, I don't recall, and forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't recall Goodyear doing an awful lot of tire testing at night and uh, cooler temperatures where they sit there and go, you know what, this will be a good race for the nighttime. And I know, obviously, when you t- tire test at Charlotte, you know, you probably do it around February, so it's cool anyway, so you expect it. But, you know, maybe something in the summertime at night, uh, for Charlotte later on in the year to test for next season would be a good idea. What are your thoughts on, on maybe Goodyear trying to do some night testing with these tires?
2: It'd be nice to see Goodyear do some of that. One of the problems it is is NASCAR did not come down with this rules package until late in the off season, so Goodyear did not have the time as much as necessary. To go out in the hot weather and NASCAR is rethinking their package again for next year, which Steve O'Donnell said. So until NASCAR gets right. the package together, how can you test the tire because you don't know what the where the setup's going to be, how much downforce is going to be on it, how much wear and tear is going to go on the right front until they know how the car is going to be set up. So until NASCAR gets the rulebook set, Goodyear's sort of hoping and they test in weather that's different than they're running, and they're hoping that they get it right. I mean, Goodyear's been bringing better tires this year. We've seen more tire wear this year than we've seen in a long time. And one of the things, Goodyear got overcautious, especially after the Indy debacle, where they couldn't run more than 10 laps without pitting. But Goodyear has been bringing harder tires, and now they're trying to soften them up because they're afraid of, Blowing right fronts and putting drivers into the wall and hurting somebody. So now they're getting to the point where they're experimenting with trying to make the tires softer to make it wear better, but they also need to be able to make sure that sidewall doesn't wear out. So it's a, it's one of those you're hoping that the rubber that they put under these thirty four pound thirty four hundred pound rockets holds up.
1: Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the show, we have a
2: caller here, John. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from?
0: Hey, uh, it's Weston from New Hampshire. How are you guys?
1: How are you doing, Weston? What do you want to talk about tonight?
0: Good. Well, first, Peyton, I'll give you the I'll give you the uh, heads up. You uh, got into our top ten in the Facebook pool this week after your win at Dover a couple weeks ago. So, congrats on that.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: um, you know, it, I'm kind of in the small majority who actually thought the race was really good. Um, some days, you know, as you guys mentioned earlier, you just you have the right setup, and I mean, Martin Truex just. Their team hit it right, and they just made everyone else look like they had soapbox derby cars. So I, I, I think I don't really want NASCAR to mess around with the package too much. I think it's been great racing mostly off season. I mean, I mean Atlanta, the second race of the season, same sort of track like Charlotte. I mean, they were passing all over the place. I mean, the tire wear is a lot different there, obviously. But uh, I I just I, – I like the package the way it is. I hope they don't mess around with it too much. I'm afraid if they mess around with it too much, they'll go take a step in the wrong direction when they're actually – making strides
1: in the right direction. I agree with you, Mr. Weston, on that wholeheartedly. And I think, you know, what we saw, I think what NASCAR wants to do, and hopefully this is what they got the, to me, it was, it was curious because I felt the comment of going back to the drawing board for Mama Half Tracks, that was a little alarming to me this morning, or yesterday morning when I read it, I was like, wow, that means they weren't, you know, they're going to completely maybe throw this thing out and go in a completely different direction where we were kind of happy with what the race, with, with the racing we saw early on in the year. But I think what, ultimately was if you dove into those comments and really read what he said, I really think he what, what NASCAR is trying to do is do what they did with the all-star race. Take those fan blowers away. Give them a little bit less downforce. Take that stupid splitter. Hopefully they take that stupid splitter off the car and give them a front valence again. That would be wonderful to see. Uh, and they're going to cut the blade down a little bit more, even even more, as you're going to Kentucky. So uh, I, I agree with you. I, would, I don't want to see them go into a major, major change here because the race has been pretty good this year. But I think what we're going to see, John Harlow, is um, a, a move into the direction more closer to what we saw with the All-Star Race.
2: I think that's the direction they're looking at going, and that we're going to see, you saw a little bit of it, the All-Star Race and the shootout, but those are short spurts. You'll mm-hmm. see whether this package works when we go to Michigan, when we go to Kentucky. The one thing that really drives me nuts sometimes with NASCAR, they shoot themselves in the foot. If you remember two years ago, that was some of the best racing we saw for an entire season. Then last year, they took away horsepower, added downforce. Guess what? The racing sucked all year long. This year, they're getting better. They took some of the downforce away, and the racing has been better most of the season. But also, the teams are smart enough to find ways around it. So NASCAR's got to stay one step ahead of them. I think it's gonna be a tweak to try to play cat and mouse with the teams so they can continue to take down force away, put it back in the driver's hands.
1: Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero if you want to join the show. Wes, what else did you think about the six hundred? Uh you know, what do you
0: have any other comments about that six hundred race? Six hundred mile race? Um, not much more about the six hundred. I I think one other thing I was really amazed with on Sunday was um, looking at a full a full house at the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the hundredth running of the Indianapolis 500. And I mean, that place was packed. And it kind of brought me back to thinking, like back in the day when they used to pack Bristol. And uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it was nice to see a, a full house at an auto auto racing event. Uh, hopefully, we can as the economy kind of turns back around. You know, we'll see that at NASCAR again too one of these days.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that was
0: you know at 300.
1: When you talk about 350,000 people at a sporting event, an Indy car race. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And those are the numbers. You know, Bristol, we used to see 150,000 people there jam-packed every time, and there was a waiting list. So it, it was really refreshing to see because the sport's been taking a hit. And it's something we'd love to do, John. You and I, obviously, all of us who are fans of this sport, love this sport. We want to see it continue. And it, and it concerns you when you see the crowds going down. Our ratings aren't great. But it was nice to see a, a huge – huge crowd in Indianapolis. And I hate to say Weston, but I think a little bit had to do with the fact that it was the 100th running of this race. And that they hadn't filled that race out in, what, 30 years? I think it was something close to that. So I think it had a little bit to do with the 100th running, but still, John, it was so refreshing to see Indianapolis with a packed house. I mean, both sides of the grandstands. NASCAR goes there. We only not even pack half of that, that front uh, grandstand, it feels like. So to see that whole thing uh, completely full amount of feet to be had was really nice to see.
2: Well, at one point, um, NASCAR sold out the whole place better than the Indy Racing League did. Whenever they had the split, I mean, they used to put three, four hundred thousand in there on a regular basis. And then when they first started the Brickyard, they packed the place because for the first five years, everybody's like, well, "Okay, let's see what we got." But then the crowd started dwindling on both sides. I agree with you. A lot of it was the hundredth anniversary of the Indy 500. But the people who went to that race, they saw a great race. There were 54 lead changes in 500 miles. At the Coke 600, there was not a green flag pass on the track at the start-finish line. Truex led every green flag lap. The only time Mm -hmm. anybody passed, I mean, that he wasn't in the pits. So, I mean, it's the thing with the Indy racing league or Indy car racing that they're having problems with is, There's two engine manufacturers, and the horsepower is so different between the two of them. This is the first time Honda's been competitive all year, and they wound up winning the thing. It was great to see Indy packed. I love the Indy 500. That is on my bucket list to go to the Indy 500. Been there for qualifying, but I wasn't there for the race. That is on the bucket list of places I want to go. Uh, Wes,
1: anything else you want to talk
0: about from this weekend here at Memorial um, Day weekend? No, I mean, yeah, I'd also, I, I'm on my bucket list to see the Indy 500. I'm kind of bumming they were going to come to Boston for the Boston Grand Prix this year, yeah. and they, they had to cancel that for monetary things. But um, I, I, it's kind of, they came up to Loudoun, I think it was 2011. I went to that race, and it was an amazing race, and I, I kind of wish they'd bring them back. But it's just great, great weekend of racing, you know, that Sunday between the Monaco Grand Prix and the Indy 500 and the Coke funds, it's just one of my favorite days, you know, but it's also it's also a good a big reminder of like Memorial Day and you know the real reason we celebrate that holiday. So, you know, a big thank you to our troops out there, and overall, it was just a great Sunday of racing. And I look forward to next weekend at Pocono. Me so too. One I'll thing I got to
2: bring, Clayton, I have to bring up while since Weston brought that in, Mike Joy did such a great job weaving in the stories behind the names on the windshields of the race cars on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He, it, it just seemed seamless. It didn't seem forced, but it's like, okay, Casey in into pit, and on his windshield is staff sergeant, whoever, and they told the story about how he lost his life and why he's on the car. I thought Mike Joy was phenomenal the way he did that. There is no better racing play-by-play guy than Mike Joy, and Bestwick did a great job at Indy as well, but Joy, the way Mike Joy weaved those stories in was phenomenal.
1: You're right, and there was a time where, and I correct me, hopefully I'm not wrong on this, I think it was Josh Wise was having a problem or he was pitting for some reason, and he said, on that car is this guy, and it it was a great touch, and that was something that, we haven't seen a whole lot as far as in, in the past Indianapolis, or excuse me, Coca-Cola 600, where you know, uh, these guys have a, have a big uh, a, a soldier or a military member who is deceased on that car, and all of them have like, kind of cool backstories where why they chose the person they chose, and I think one was Jack Roush's childhood friend on one of Jack Roush's car, so it was, it was really cool to see, and uh, something that definitely was great, and Weston, uh, we thank you so much for calling the show. It was it was uh, great to have you call. If you want to be like Weston and join the show at nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero, that is the number to, to join the show. And John, let's talk about Indianapolis. Weston brought it up here. Uh, Indianapolis five hundred. Alexander Rossi, the rookie from California, win the won the one hundredth Indianapolis five hundred. Stayed out. Little fuel fuel strategy there, but he's able to do it. And, you know, it doesn't matter how you get to start finish line first. It matters. That he did it, and Alexander Rossi won the 100th Indianapolis 500 on Sunday.
2: Uh, amazing that he' been trying for years to get an F1 ride, and in reality, he is a backup driver for an F1 team. But there's no ride to be had, so he hooked up with Brian Herda, who teamed up with Michael Andretti for this race. And we have an American who is phenomenal. I mean, they got NAPA on board, so they have an American company, American driver, and American car series. It was phenomenal to see the way the guy did it. And Brian herder started this. They started that plan about 60 laps to go, where they're going to say, okay, back it off. We're going to try to go and one more stop and see if we can do it. And they wound up pulling it off. I think he was going like 65, 70 mile an hour when he crossed the finish line because he ran out of gas in the turn four. But it was a great story. It was a Cinderella story. I mean, he didn't have great speed all the whole month of May, but he had it and led lap 200 when it mattered.
1: And that's all, And that's all that matters.
2: He qualified 11th.
1: Uh, you know, Napa came 10 days before the race, said, yeah, we'll sponsor your car. Great story. Uh, and it was, it, you know, for us Americans, it was. I think it was refreshing to see an American win. Honestly, uh, I think all of us a little bit. You know, I can at least ask for myself, I like to see an American win that race. I was both for the Americans, so that was nice to see. But quick rundown of the, of the top ten here. Alexander Rossi was your winner. Carlos Munoz was second. Uh, Joseph Newgarden was third. Tony Kanaan fourth. Charlie Kimball fifth. Gerald Hildebrand was sixth. James Hinscliffe seventh. Scott Dixon, Sebastian Bourdais and will power, the top ten. Uh, I have said this numerous times and Andy Car's not my strong suit, John Hullo, so I'm gonna lean on you here. Um well, there, you know, for example, Graham Rayhall finished fourteenth. We really didn't see him up front all day. Uh, he's a defending series champion. Um, was he a guy that you thought maybe would run pretty good here? I know he qualified way back in twenty six. was he a guy you thought maybe when the race started that he would work his way up through the field? Uh, and who were the drivers you thought might have a chance at it that ran that ran poorly and, and vice versa. Who ran some of the guys who might who surprised you? Who ran really good? Who you didn't think you didn't expect much from?
2: Well, the the ones that surprised me of how they weren't awesome all weekend. Tony Kanon had a couple flashes where he ran up toward the front, but the Ganassi cars overall they didn't really set the world on fire. And usually Chip Ganassi's world revolves around Indy, but uh, it just didn't see it. Scott Dixon was an afterthought, and he's a former Indy 500 winner. He finished ninth. Marco Andretti, he was an afterthought all day long, finishing 13th. I mean, you didn't hear anything out of him. Graham Rahal, he's a a really good driver. He's more of a road course guy. And up until now, I mean, they were talking about being worried about track temperature of how the Honda power plant would survive on a hot day. So when they had some clouds come over, I think it benefited the Honda cars, but they also ran good all weekend. I was surprised at how little the Penske cars, how not competitive they were. I mean, Helio Castroneves was up there for a while. He got into a scrape and part of his wing was falling off, so he had to get the rear wing replaced. He finished 11th. Will Power was 10th. I mean, when you have your big gun from Ganassi, who's Scott Dixon finishing 9th, You've got Will Power, Nevis at tenth and eleventh, and Marco Andretti at thirteenth. It w- it was a surprising Daytona, f- or, I mean Indy five hundred of how good of drivers were finishing mid pack. Yeah, the one it, that surprised just, me know, more than anybody was Townsend Bell. He drives one one race a year the Indy 500, got in an Andretti car, and he was up toward the front all day long. I mean, he was a rocket ship. But he also was cutting people off every time. You, I mean, he was not letting anybody have anything in the first 10 laps of the race. And then he ends up crashing into his teammate Ryan Hunter Ray on pit road and putting them both at 21st and 24th, and they were two of the better cars in the track.
1: Yeah, that was disappointing to see. You mentioned Thompson Bell. You know, it was a great story. He runs that race, tries to win every year. Um, He doesn't race full-time anymore, so he goes out there and and tries to win the Indianapolis 500. But um, he he led 12 did well, but uh, like you said, I had a little bit of a problem on pit road. Um, To kind of put a bow on this here for the Indianapolis 500, um, what do you think this race – do you think for Alexander Rossi, I understand Napa is – going on for another race at, at, at the Duel in Detroit. What do you think it's going to do for his season uh, and his career? What, what do you think the, winning the 100th Indianapolis 500 will do for him?
2: I think it's going to give him a better shot at staying for the full season. But it also may start bringing the F1 teams back to look at him. I mean, I'm not sure how locked in Gene Haas is with both of his drivers. I mean, Gene Haas is an American team running the F1. Rossi's an American wanting to run F1. Maybe he ends up coming to meet with Gene Haas sometime down the road and may end up going back overseas again. I think it's up, I mean, it'd be good for Andretti to try to keep him here in the States and have another American running the American circuit. I think it's going to give him a little more life. I mean, heck, they won $2.5 million for winning the Indy 500 and it usually costs about three to $4 million a season to run a team. So they've got some prize money to play with. They've got Napa on board to go to the Duel in Detroit, so they've got a sponsor for that race. We'll see. I think Rossi's got a future. I mean, the kid's 22 years old. I think he's got a really good future in the States. It's just a matter of finding the right ride. And in IndyCar, there are two locked-in rides. There are a couple who are more oval and Indy indie 500 driven like Ed Carpenter Racing like um the Jimmy Vassar team that Sebastian Bourdais runs and Sam Schmidt's more of an Indy 500 guy but the, the quality rides aren't there
1: it's a lot like uh what NASCAR used to be back in the 70s so it's going to be interesting to see what it does for his career I mean he. Definitely, it doesn't hurt publicity at all that Alexander Rossi won the 100th Indianapolis 500. So good for him. Good to see a nice young kid from California. When it, you could tell it meant a lot to lose He was in shock in Victory Lane, but you could tell it meant a lot from, for him as well. Okay, um, we were talking about this earlier. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, for NASCAR. Uh, we're halfway through the regular season, and right now, when you look at it, there are some drivers who have had really good seasons. And some drivers who haven't had such good seasons. Um, so we're going to dive into, and I always feel like this is the time of year where people start to sit there and wonder, is it time to make a crew chief change? So, John Harlow, um, give me somebody you think might be a crew chief that you have an eye on that they could make a change there um, in the coming weeks.
2: What, uh, what crew chief
1: could be replaced?
2: I'll go with where we've thought we've been talking about this for a while. I'll go Casey Kane in the five car. Okay. Kenny Francis and Keith Rodden are basically the same person. They've run with Casey Kane almost his entire Sprint Cup career. I think a change needs to be made there. And you know, there's a really good crew chief sitting there doing, he's in charge of vehicle operations. Darian Grubb <laughs> is sitting there at Hendrick Motorsports. Darian Grubb won a Sprint Cup Championship with Tony Stewart. Casey Kane is a lot like Tony Stewart in a race car. I could see that change coming before the end of the season. All right, listen, that is
1: something to definitely keep an eye on it because you said you know Darren Grubb. He's definitely a guy. You got um, Kenny Francis still there as well in that five team, and you know like I said, the five team looked like they turned a the corner uh, at <coughs> right after Dover. They were running pretty good. They had a pretty good weekend at Richmond uh, the weekend uh, a couple weeks prior. And then all of a sudden, it just seems like something just happened to that five the team. They didn't run good at all at the all star race. They didn't run good at all this weekend in the six hundred. So, um, you know, it's, and it's not like this has just been this year for Casey Kane, where you know he's had a thir- bad thirteen races. This dates back to last year and even the year before, when you know if you remember, he had to get into the chase by winning in Atlanta and he won in Atlanta. But if he didn't win that race at Atlanta, he doesn't get into the chase that year. So. It's been a long couple of three, four years here for Casey Kane where we haven't really seen that five team run the way everybody expects Casey Kane to run. And you have to wonder eventually, you know, you change your crew chief once. You know, to me, if they change it again, which I think is a possibility, if that's the last crew chief they make on that five car because they spent and say, you know what, they didn't crew chief. And, you know, we heard Casey Kane a year ago when things were going bad for that five team. He missed the chase, came out, and he said he didn't care. It sounded like he didn't care at all about missing the chase, and I think that was uh, him, his frustration coming out for sure, but you know, it doesn't sound good when you say that kind of stuff, so I think you have to kind of look at your mirror here, if you're Casey Kane, and say, listen, Keith Rodden is my guy, if I like Keith Rodden, do I really, maybe I need to look at myself and push myself a little bit harder here, uh, do everything I can to win races, and um, maybe change the way I approach a race, maybe change the way I approach a race week, race weekend, do something different, because you know, right now, that five team has been really, really off And, again, it hasn't been just for this year, John Harlow. It's been for the last couple couple of years for this five team.
2: I think it's been almost three years because that's why Kenny Francis isn't sitting on top of the pit box anymore. I think Rodden and Kenny Francis and Casey Kane have basically been a group almost the entire career. And I really think that Kane could probably use a new person in his ear. And Darian Grubb has shown that he can do it. And I think it's a simple in-house fix. If they went back to Kenny Francis, you're going back two years, and you're not really changing anything. Go, go to the Darian Grubb route. Maybe it's a new new voice in his ear, and it may end up changing things. I mean, one of the things you notice, look at Greg Biffle. He, rode with, he drove with Matt Pusher for years, and they put Brian Patty on top of the pit box. It's taken some time, but they're starting, mm-hmm. get to, they're starting to gel at Roush Fenway. They had three cars in the top 10 for qualifying. They ran respectable this week compared to, I mean, and everybody ran respectable except for Truex. He was on a different area code. But, I mean, I think you see that. It's starting to make an adjustment, and I think if they end up doing that kind of a crew chief change by putting Darian Grubb on the box for Casey Kane it probably will make a big difference for
1: him. Yeah, it, it's something that, uh, you know, I think Kings and Keith Ryan and Keith Keane aren't the only ones having, having issues. Uh, I think another team we look at, and this is a guy who, uh, it was brought up to, a, a, a person you know very well who used to do a show with us, brought this to my attention today, and I just went, wow, because you don't realize how big of a, of a drop back it's been for Paul Menard. Paul Menard right now sits 22nd in the points, at this time a year ago, he was 13th. And when you look at his 2014 season, in which he got his – he had Slugger Labby there to start the year, you know, Slugger Labby was there. He was uh, about 15th in points, and then they made a the crew chief change and to Justin Alexander, and it just seemed like the team fizzled out that a little bit. Um, Slugger, want, at that point, in the, in the, at the end of 2014, wanted to stay home a little bit more, wanted to work on the race cars, according to, to the articles then – and now Snuggers, obviously, on a three-car with Dawson Dillon. But, you know, since then, Pulmonar had 13 top-10 finishes in 2014. Last year, he finished 14th in points. This year, he's got one top-10 finish. We haven't seen the consistency from Pulmonar. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, well, if you look at Lenard's resume, it's not great. He doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of race wins. He doesn't have a lot of top-10s. He doesn't have a lot of top-5s. And you'd be accurate on that assumption. You're absolutely right. You know, he ever, the best finish he's ever had, Top 10-wise was 13. Like I said, before that, was nine. However, you got to remember who sponsors that race team. That is a family-funded operation by his dad, Paul Menard. and it's definitely a lot of money for that team. And I think you're going to sit there and say, if Paul's not running good, they're going to sit there and go, you know what? Let's make a change here. Justin's a good guy. He's an engineer-type background. But we're just not seeing the results we want to see. We're starting to see Ryan Newman run a little bit better. That three car has been absolutely phenomenal all year long with Sugar Labby behind it. Maybe, I think there's going to be some some pressure here from sponsors, crew chief, to make a change there on that number 27 car. I definitely think that's a possibility Justin Alexander could be on the hot seat as well.
2: Justin Alexander is a decent crew chief, but like you said, he hasn't done anything with Menard. I mean, Menard got his one win with Slugger Labby still on the box, and They were okay last year. They made the chase, but this year they haven't really been much of anything. And the one thing that I've noticed this year, if you look at the RCR effort, Austin Dillon has been everything at RCR. Newman's been hit and miss, and Menard Mm -hmm. has been mostly miss. There's a couple hits in there, but most of the time he's back in the 20s and the 30s. So it hasn't been anything spectacular. I'm not sure if it's Justin Alexander or if it's Papa throwing everything in Austin's basket to try to get him up there.
1: Hey, and as crazy as that might sound as something that, you know, maybe a, a crazy fan might have created in his brain. Kevin Harvick mentioned that when he left that organization where, you know, hey, these kids are going to get a lot thrown at them. this, you know, they're going to be putting a lot in that team. And that's all human nature. I mean, if, If it was me and my grandson and my son was running an organization, I want him to have the best stuff, too. So, uh, And, you know, you have to wonder if the move from Richard Slugger-Labby to get him off Menard's team was, in hindsight, to put him on his grandson's team. And really, to me, if that's the case, you know, you've got to be very annoyed if you're Menard, then you're going to really force a change there because you're sitting there going, you know, we had a good crew chief, with Slugger, Slugger, we were doing great with, You know Paul Menard's best year in 2014 was Slugger was a crew chief for most of the year, and him and Slugger, I mean, they they went through like you said several with with Casey Kane and Keith and uh, and um, oh my goodness, is, is Kenny Francis? They went through a lot of organizations together. So did Paul Menard and Slugger Labby, where they went through E.H. Racing, they went through RCR, and so when they broke that up, you had to sit there and go, boy, you know Justin Alexander might be a good crew chief, but I hope that doesn't affect Paul Menard too much. And I think we're starting to see that now where Almanard's <throat> starting to not run really as, as good as he could be. Another driver I think you can keep an eye on, and I think it's too early to make a change here. I want to be that absolutely clear. But it's something to pay attention to for the next 10, 15 weeks here. That's the 88 car. And I hate to say it, and I hate that, you know, Junior Nation is sitting there wondering what's going on here, but there's no doubt this 88 team is nowhere near where it was two years ago with, with Steve LaTarda as the crew chief. Uh, I do think Hendrick Motorsports is behind Joe Gibbs Racing, something that wasn't the case two years ago, but it just seems like Greg Ives and Dale Hart Jr. just don't seem to be clicking on all cylinders right now. Um, another lackluster run in the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, Jr. starting to get frustrated. He's, it's obvious. His comments are obvious. If you listen to his radio, he's starting to get really, really frustrated. So that's another driver. I, again, I think it's too early to pull the trigger on, on Greg Ives yet, But I think it's something to definitely keep an eye on.
2: I think the more you watch Junior, and Junior is the face of NASCAR still. Junior still loves to run. Junior still is the resident historian of the sport. But look at Junior throughout his career. He won with two crew chiefs in reality, Tony Sr. and... Steve, uh, Steve Letarte. He hasn't been special with Greg Ives. He wasn't special with Tony Jr. He wasn't special with Slugger Labby. Remember, they made that switch whenever he was at uh, DEI because Slugger was there. Tony, G-
1: Tony Gibson was there, too. Tony
2: Gibson, um Steve Meal, I, I mean, he yeah, runs through some crew chiefs who are really good, and one with a lot of good guys. I mean, Greg Ives made Chase Elliott look like a genius because the first his first year in Xfinity, they won the championship in three races. So Greg mm-hmm. Ives can get the kid around the track. You look, Chase Elliott hasn't changed. He's still the same driver driving with Alan Gustafson. I'm wondering how much of it is junior. And how much of it is the crew chief? I think well, Steve Letarte made great cars,
1: and I think Steve motivated Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think he, that nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. If you want to join the conversation here on talking in circles, but I think that's something that um, you know. For those who don't know, I'm close to a a person who roots for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Is you know, so I got a lot of inside scoop on what's going on with that or with that team. And as far as what they believe is going on, and I think Steve really motivated Dale Hart Jr. to be a, a uh, the best he can be, to perform at his highest level. I'm not sure Greg has that kind of uh, the same push, the same you know. I just don't know if he motivates Dale Earnhardt Jr. nearly the same way Steve Letarte did. And I think it's a lot for Dale Earnhardt Jr. To, to motivate him because I think he gets down on himself. He, I think he realizes you know he's going to be 40, He's 41 years old. He doesn't hasn't won a championship yet. You know, he wants to win more races than what he's had in the past. So I think he wants to be a guy who uh, could win for a championship. But I think he's also uh, a guy who's, if we could see it, John Harlow, he could see it in his race car where they're not performing where they need to be to to win a championship, It's just flat-out a fact. And um, so I I think that's where you see the, the frustration coming from. But I'll say this, you know, this is a different Dale Hart Jr. than what we saw five years ago. I think Dale Hart Jr., Five years ago when he ran through, you know, uh, Lance McGrew, he ran through De- Tony Yuri Jr. Um, and, I, and that was due to Steve Lettard. I think Dale Jr. was a different driver. I, I don't think he was as focused as he needed to be on race car. I think he is now. And it's good if you're junior, if you a Junior Nation fan listening. It's good to have that right now, with, what you're seeing, with the frustration, with the comments he's making at the end of the races. That's a good thing to see because it shows he cares. And it really shows he cares because you can, and you know, it's true. Um, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. But I, you have to wonder, also, John, how much of it is the dominance from H- Joe Gibbs Racing, and how far back is Hendrick Motorsports? That's another thing you got to keep an eye on as well.
2: I think a little bit of it is Hendrick being behind. The other, the one thing that's always surprising, and if you remember back in the day, it was a twenty four forty eight shop. And the 5 and 8 and 5 and 25, and then it became 5 and 88. And then when they moved Junior's shop over to the 48 shop, whenever Latart was there, Junior picked up. And then the 5 and the 24 sort of slipped. I don't know. Johnson's won three races this year. Even though Hendrick is behind Gibbs, Johnson's got three races under this belt, and Junior's been fighting to get in the top ten. Mm-hmm. I just think there's something not right. I think Junior gives decent feedback to everybody compared to what he used to. He'd just say, it's loose, fix it, instead of saying, this is how loose it is and this is what I've done. He take He's taking more of an interest in the car than he used to. But I just don't think that – I mean, part of it is Junior has always been a little bit overrated, and Junior Nation – thrives off being Dale Jr. because Dale Sr., whenever he we lost him, most of the Dale Sr. fans went to Jr., so Jr. Nation became huge because of his name. I think Dale Jr. is a good driver. He's not a Hall of Famer. He won't be a Hall of Famer, and if he is, they really need to take a look at what the Hall of Fame is. I think... Greg Ives may end up being the next sacrificial lamb, the same way Tony Jr. was, the same way Lance McGrew was, the same way Tony Gibson was. It just isn't going to happen unless they somehow talk Steve LaTarte coming out of the booth and getting back on the box. That's the only way I've seen him do anything.
1: And that's not happening at all. And let's make this clear, you know, they're not changing the driver. We know that because he is who he is, and uh, he's got a contract there. They're not changing that. So, uh in order, if this, these struggles continue, and again, I've made it clear, I don't think they need to just yet. But if this continues on into August, you know, we get closer to chase time, I think they they definitely would look at making a change. While other crew chief, I think is interesting. I want to make it clear. I think this guy. I think the world of this guy. Uh, I think he's a good crew chief. Um, but just this 43 team has not been performing this year, and that's Trent Owens. Trent Owens, a crew chief of, of um, Eric Amarola. they made a chase a year ago. Uh, they made a chase two years ago just narrowly missed it a year ago. This year, they're starting to hang their own bodies a little bit, not nearly as much as, as, as I think pre, they previously thought, but um, right now, if you look at where Eric Amarola in, is in the point standings, he sits 26th in points, and if you remember uh, last year, John, when they went to Richmond, they had, almost, they had a chance at making the chase if they had uh, finished a couple more positions higher, I believe, but right now, they're not going to have a chance at, at all unless they win a race, uh, And and I think it's an organizational um, struggle. You know, Brian Scott's 29th in points right now in that 44 car. he just got a new Coochie from Chris O'Roy this year, so they both are new to that organization. So I don't think we're going to see anything there as well in that 43 team, but uh, a Coochie change. But that's something to definitely keep an eye on as well because I, I just think they've expected more than what they've been getting from that 43 car.
2: I think Trent Owens is pretty safe. Him and Eric Almarola came to Eric Almarola asked for Trent Owens, and I think part of it is the growing pains at Richard Petty Motorsports that they are starting to hang their own bodies. They're starting to do more stuff away from Roush Fenway to where they're trying to become their own organization. I think some of that's the growing pains. I also think some of it is the car inventory that normally would be there isn't because Brian Scott has a tendency to play chicken with some walls. Um, The one other crew chief that I see could be in danger, is he's been a crew chief for a long time and hasn't won a race yet, and that's Luke Lambert with the 31 team.
1: Hmm.
2: He got Newman all the way to second in points two years ago, didn't win a race. Didn't win a race when he was crew chiefing for Jeff Burton. This is the third year of Newman's contract, and they haven't been to victory lane yet. They've been plugging away top five, top tens, but Newman's in a contract year. Caterpillar could be in a contract year. Wicks Filters is in a contract year, because Wicks Filters has come with Newman both places. and right. he was with Stuart Haas and he went with Newman there. And they lost Quicken loans. So that's one of the things to look at. Luke Lambert may be on his way out. We have a yeah,
1: we have a caller here, John. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Oh, this is Lee in Virginia. Hi Lee, how you doing? Uh, what do you want to talk about tonight? I wanted to give you another crew chief that I feel like could be on the hot seat. And I don't know if the change is going to be made just yet, but I think down the next few weeks here, I wanted to talk about Bob Osborne in the number 34 car with Chris Buescher. Um, to put it nicely and to put it kindly, it's been an absolute train wreck so far this season with that team. Uh, the only time you've seen Chris Busher is when he was on his roof at Talladega. And you haven't seen him since. It's been a disaster there with that 34. Um, you know, Bob Osborne, lost his touch with Carl Edwards. Carl kind of got him out of there. And, you know, I think Jack still thinks he's got something left, but I'm not so sure a veteran crew chief with a young driver is the way to go. I think you need to bring in a fresh crew chief, an engineer type of guy to put in with your young driver to help him grow because it's not working at that 34. Even if you look at his teammate, Landon Castle, who's in his first season at the same organization, he has blown him out of the water this year. And I just think a crew chief change there is an imminent it's a fair point league because you mentioned Chris Busher. Of all the drivers who run all 13 races this year, he's second to last in points, aside from Michael O'Neill. Um, he's 34th in points right now. Landon Castle, his teammate's 27th. And that 34 car has been getting, is getting Roush uh, equipment. And Roush is running pretty good here this year. We're starting to see them perform better. And I don't know if that's the same case with that 38 team, in Landon Castle, at all. But um, it's a very fair point, John Harlow, uh, about. Bob Osborne,
2: I think Bob again Bob Osborne is a quality crew chief, but again, as Lee brought up, it isn't working. Chris Busher, who we were expecting to do decently, I mean we know he's in front row stuff there's some, there's Roush support there, but it's not a Roush car, and it just doesn't work. I mean, if I'm Chris Buescher, I'm almost saying, hey, Jack, you want to put me back in the Xfinity car because I think I can do better there because he's back there 25th, 30th, up on his roof. Just not any kind of competition out of that car. It's sad to see that that's going to be his rookie campaign. He could have probably stayed in Xfinity and had a better shot at being competitive.
1: Yeah, and even... In the all-star race, you know, we everybody was saying, "Man, look at Landon Castle in the in the open, his sprint showdown." He went really good. His teammate didn't. Lee, uh, we got two minutes left. Lee, another point you want to make before I let you go. Uh, no, that was about it. I've been listening the whole time. But did you guys touch on the Hall of Fame class? We did not, and we can extend the time here for our live listeners. Um, you know, you can listen to the rest of the show on our Facebook and our Twitter page here. Because let's talk about the Hall of Fame class. Lee, what do you want to bring What's up about one, it? One point I wanted to make, and admit, I want to hear you guys' idea on this is, you know, there was a lot of things that, that go into the Hall of Fame class, and,
2: um, you know,
1: NASCAR, has, has over the, over time, has shown that they like to honor all of the series. But Alan Kowicki didn't get a lot of votes because he doesn't have a lot of wins at the Spring Cup level. My thing on this is you can't have it both ways, where, you know, Kyle Busch, if he wins 200 races in all three divisions – isn't equal to Richard Petty's 200 wins at the Spring Cup level. And the argument for those people is, well, the competition in the Camping World Truck Series and the NASCAR Xfinity Series isn't the same as it is in the Spring Cup level. And that's fine, and I agree with that point, but then how can you tell me that a driver who's won four championships in the Camping World Truck Series is more worthy than a guy who won a championship at the Cup level? That's my only thing on that, looking into the future here in this Hall of Fame, because there is a time where I think, Ron Hornaday will get in, but I don't think he should get in over Alan Kalicki or anybody else who's won a cup championship. Lee, thanks for calling. And stay on the line if you can. And, again, we're going to lose our live audience in 30 seconds, but, again, go to our Facebook and Twitter page to listen to the remaining rest of the show. That's um, a good point, Lee. I think when you when you think about it, you know, Hornaday is a, is a, was a phenomenal truck driver. There was times where I pulled for Hornaday uh, consistently. On the racetrack, um, no, but set this precedent a little bit with um, what we saw when we when we put in Jack Ingram, when we put in Richie Evans, drivers from different series getting in. Now, I was talking to a friend of mine over this weekend, and he said, "That's a different era," and that's absolutely correct. Um, in the 1980s and 1970s, when Evans ran and when Jack Ingram ran. It was a completely different era. There was only you know, a handful of cup rides that were really worth leaving what Richie Evans was doing to go to. Um, and the competition in those series was really good. But that was the danger when they made, put Richie Evans in. They, Larry Phillips was on a ballot as well. Um, but I agree with you too wholeheartedly to an extent where if Kyle Bush's wins don't mean anything in the Xfinity and Truck Series, then... The, what are you saying when you put Jack Ingram in, or for, really, for a better example, when you, put, when you vote Ron Hornaday on your ballot, John Harlow, it just kind of looks like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth when you do that.
2: Well, I'll be honest with you. Ron Hornaday is not a Hall of Famer. They may end up putting him in sometime because he won four truck championships. And you and I discussed this whenever we talked after, on the anniversary of Alan Kowicki's death. I don't think Alan Kowicki's a Hall of Famer. He won his cup championship, and it was a hell of a story. But he didn't have the length of time and career the same way Davey Allison is questionable. I think if Davey mm-hmm. Allison didn't die, didn't learn to fly a helicopter, Dale Earnhardt has four championships, not seven. You're right. Why not? And-, and that's one of the things that you look at. I mean, Davey Allison... While he ran, he was a Hall of Famer, but is his career long enough? Tim Richmond, a- as long as he ran, he was a Hall of Famer, but was his career long enough? You've got to have some sort of length to your career. You just can't go out and have, I mean, look at Mark Fidrich in baseball. For one year, he captured baseball, and the next year he blew his arm out, you never heard from him again. I mean, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, tragedy took Alan Kowicki from us. Tragedy took Davey Allison from us. But does your truncated time make you a Hall of Famer? And that's the big debate that's coming up down the road. Hornaday, great race truck driver, not a Hall of Famer, because he was an average cup driver at best. And the Richie Evans thing, yeah, I would have never left what he was doing, because the Modifieds in the 70s, their competition was tougher than cup competition. To be honest with you, Richard Petty's 200 wins, he couldn't do that today. He couldn't no even come close to that because they ran two, three nights a week, and there were four cars that were running that were worthwhile. The Wood Brothers, two Petty cars, and whatever Bobby Allison was driving for most of the time. And then Junior Johnson got into the, into the ownership ranks and started coming up. But Richard Petty, most of his 200 wins, if you ran him today, he might be 50 60. I don't even think he'd be as good as Johnson or Gordon. That's interesting. It's
1: interesting. Uh, I think there'd be a lot of people who would have a lot of uh, who would debate that. But Lee, it's a great point. And what else? Do you want to touch on anything else, Lee, from the Hall of Fame? Well, I just thought the class was good. I think everybody who went in this year belonged in. uh, You know, Benny Parsons, uh, not necessarily just as a driver, because you look at his statistics, they weren't overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly uh, you know, uh, spectacular. But what he did after his career as a broadcaster and engaging a ton of fans, I think, is what put him over the top to get him into the Hall of Fame. No question. Mark Martin, enough said. All you need to say is his name. He's a Hall of Famer. Rick Henry Richard Childress, and Raymond Parks, they all belong in as well. So it was a good class. I don't want to take away from those guys. I did, and, and John made a good point, and, and that's a fair point because he's not saying, you know, one should be in over the other. I just, the people who are saying that, that a driver like Hornaday who's in the truck series, especially in this era where, you know, there has to be a line drawn somewhere. Is Ricky Stenhouse junior hall of famer because he went back to back championships in the Xfinity series? I, I, I don't buy it. I really don't. I'm sorry. And, and you know, the line does need to be drawn somewhere and uh, where do we draw it is, is going to be the interesting question in the future. That was my own point. Thank you, Lee, for the call. It was wonderful. Um, and the only problem I have with the Hall of Fame here, John, before we wrap up, uh, is my boy Robert Yates did going to get in. And I, I'm a big Robert Yates guy. I've been advocating for Robert Yates. I think Robert Yates did a lot for this sport with the engines and his car. owner, And uh, he's going to have to wait another year. It's unfortunate.
2: Well, the one thing where Rick Hendrick, I understand putting him in the Hall of Fame. But in reality – what did he do other than provide money? He didn't build the race car. He didn't drive the race car. I mean, granted, he had the money to put it together. I he think Robert Yates. Person too. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think Robert Yates was more than a car owner. He was a crew guy. He was, he was the king of engines. His engines are still being used today because Doug Yates basically is robert jr when it comes to engine building i think robert yates brought more to the sport than rick hendrick did rick hendrick the two things he brought to the sport were he pushed for the multi-car team and went to the four-car team first and i think he brought in jeff gordon and changed the way the sport looked. Instead of it being the down-home Southern boy sport, he classed it up a little bit and made it more TV-friendly. Those were Rick Hendrick's two biggest contributions. He he was smart enough to get the good drivers when he got them. But, I mean, there were some lean years, too, because, I mean, you look, Daryl, whenever, whenever he first brought Daryl over, DW was not that great driving for Hendrick.
1: The dream team, they called it, as a tie ride there, for sure. And, and the and, dream
2: team would... laid an egg.
1: Yes, they did, for sure. Um, We're running short on time here. I would love to continue this conversation, but we're running short on time. I want to thank everybody for listening and talking in circles, and we'll be back here next week after Pocono. Good night, everybody.